Uh, welcome, it's good to have you. We are one church in two locations, so every once in a while we will have the talk on the screen. Mark is out of town. He's actually in Romania on a mission trip right now. I want to welcome to those of you who are watching online. We know that you will typically watch online before you ever show up here, so we're looking forward to hopefully seeing you in person sometime soon. And welcome to our guests. Uh, really good to have you with us as well. Uh, you came at a good time because we're just starting a, a new series through the book of 1 Corinthians. You just heard chapter 9. It's called Yield. And so if you've been looking for a sign from God, that's it. Yield. Okay, slow down, pay attention, because he's got something to say to you. He's got something for you. And if you want to catch the first talk in the series, you can watch it online or listen to the podcast. And we're talking about the rules of the road. I mean, it's amazing how different they were when I was a kid. I mean, how many of you remember riding in the back of a truck, of a pickup truck? I don't mean the back seat. I mean in the back of the truck, right? We would dr drive down the highway in the back of my grandpa's El Camino, man. That was a real treat to, to be in the bed of the truck. And then you know, back then you didn't have car seats for little kids either. You'd, you'd put the little kid on the front seat in the middle, right? Or you hold them on your lap, no seat belts. I mean, they had seat, but they had these seat lap, uh, lap belts, you know, but nobody used them. I remember driving along the road with my grandma's car and, and the passenger door, I'm the front seat and the door is ajar. <laughs> she takes a curve kind of hard and I just roll right out into a ditch, man. I mean, that's the way we literally rolled back then. So uh, those are kind of... Um, laws and rules that, that got in the way. I mean, we, we think they're a good thing, but they got in the way of our fun. They got in the way of our comfort and convenience. Typically, though, obstacles get in the way of where we really need to go. And, you know, we've got these obstacles in our lives when it comes to doing what Jesus told us to do. What did he tell us? He said, well, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew 28. And he also said in Mark 16, that you're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to all creation. So we're supposed to go share the good news of, of salvation with other people. That's what the gospel is. And when we share it, that's called evangelism. But we let all these obstacles get in the way of us doing it, right? We, we don't go out and do those things because of fear, because of embarrassment. We're afraid of what people are going to think about us. We're afraid of, uh, of being embarrassed. We're afraid of not knowing what to say, or how to have the answers to their questions. And we have all these misconceptions that are obstacles to us sharing our faith. So I'm going to give you a little quiz here, a little true or false quiz. Ready? Number one, true or false, 95% of all church members have never led anyone to Christ. Sadly and tragically, that is true because we, we don't think we can. And so we leave it up to the 1% of the church, which are the pastors and evangelists and missionaries. But if we do that, we're gonna be in big trouble because that 1% will never be able to fulfill that great commission to go into all the world. There's no way 1% can reach all the world. True or false, most people come to Christ through a preacher. Absolutely false. No, I mean, we've built that up into our minds. We let that thinking get in our way. But uh, the truth is, very few people come to Christ that way. 75 to 90% of people come to Christ through the influence of a family member or a friend. True or false? Christians shouldn't witness until they've been Christians for at least five years. <laughs> no, false. Of course you should start sharing your faith as soon as possible because the newer you are in your faith, the more of a radical change people can see in your life, the more effective it is. And going along with that, after two years of consistent church attendance, most Christians have no significant non-Christian friends. True or false? That is true, sadly, yeah. 
most of our friends become Christians. And, and so the fewer non-Christian friends you have, the, the less effective you are. And that means the more intentional you've got to be in staying connected to non-Christians. True or false? Most non-Christians have little or no interest in spiritual things. Yeah, that's false. People have an innate curiosity about spiritual things. They, they may even be seeking spiritual life, but they just may not be seeking it in traditional religion because we are hardwired with a spiritual thirst to know God. True or false, either you can do evangelism or you can't. You know, you think that people who are effective either have a personal uh, natural ability or they have this outgoing personality. True or false? Yeah, it's false. God uses all kinds of people. Some people think that you got to have this special calling to do this, but you already got your calling. We already read about it. Jesus said, go make disciples of, of all nations, of all people. That's for everybody. And that's why Penny and I came here. We wanted to go to a big city that had a lot of people where we'd never run out of people who needed to know Jesus. And that's why we started a church. It's because we realized New churches are the best way to reach new people for Jesus. And that's why from the very beginning we have supported missions that are active in starting churches. That's why the most important figure or number for me is always how many people got baptized. Because that's what the Great Commission is all about. That's what fires me up. Because year after year after year we have an unusually high number of baptisms in our church, uh, which is awesome. That's what keeps me going. Now, I understand there's more to being a disciple than just getting baptized. That's just the beginning, but that's the point. You gotta have a beginning. And if you're not reaching people with the good news, then then whatever comes after that is pointless. That's not gonna happen. So we're supposed to go make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And And I actually realized that this summer marks my 35th year in ministry. I realized that I started an internship uh, in the summer of 19, <clears throat> what was it, 80, 84, right? Yeah, 84. Uh, large church, and then that prepared me for that October. I got hired to be the youth minister, the weekend youth minister of a little country church in Indiana. So here I am, I'm barely <laughs> beyond being a youth myself, 20 years old, and now I am a minister, and I'm getting paid for it too, man. Like 75 bucks a week, which was enough, you know, to take care of my Chevette payments, which I needed to get to this ministry, which was two hours away from college to drive there every weekend and back. But I was in ministry now, and it was great, and I did that for two years. And then at the ripe old age of 23, I became the preaching minister of another small church, this time in Ohio, still in seminary though, and now I'm making like, whew, 300 bucks a week. I mean, I really, really got up there. And uh, in three and a half years, I led that church to over 54% growth rate. Yeah, from 55 people to 85 people, that's right. <laughs> so, oh man, when, when they hired me, I told them, you don't, don't hire me if you want me to stay here because I'm not staying here. Uh, because I have a driving desire to start a church and reach as many people as I can, and that's not going to happen in this little town of less than 500 people with one stop sign, okay? So that's, that's the desire. 
And that was Paul's desire, too, to reach as many people as he could for Christ, which is why he traveled all over the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel, starting new churches. He started that church in that big old city of Corinth that we just had read to us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And and so from that passage, I want to point out three obstacles to outreach that he experienced then and that we still encounter now. And can I be really honest and frank with you about this first one? Because it is a huge obstacle and it's about money. It's a lack of funds. Don't let money be an obstacle to outreach. Paul points out that he and his ministry partner Barnabas deserved to be supported for their ministry work there. Um, But they weren't getting it. I mean, it was... It, it was a principle of like, if we receive spiritual blessings, then we're, we should share our material blessings, right? That's an Old Testament law, and it's a New Testament teaching. He says in verse 14, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So look, the church should be supporting them, not to make them rich, but to meet their needs. And, and so that's our principle here is, yes, ministers missionaries, anybody in that kind of Christian work should be paid for their work, for for serving the Lord. Why? Because they're not able to devote their time to some other job to support themselves or to support their families. And the Corinthian Christians got that because apparently they were supporting some other kinds of people in ministry. They just weren't supporting the guy they really should be, Paul and, and Barnabas as well. And so Paul has this attitude, okay, that's fine. I've got the right to be supported. Look, I've got the same rights as the other apostles. I've got the right to take a wife like the other apostles do, like Peter does. He's married. I, I should be able to take a wife, but I'm going to forgo that right. So why? I can devote more time to the ministry. And I have a right to be supported like those other apostles are, but I'm going to forgo that right too because I don't want money to be an obstacle to the gospel. Yeah, I led you guys to the faith. I led your church for a while, but what kind of thanks do I get for that? You don't even treat me like I'm one of the apostles now. I mean, it, it, here I am, I, I gotta support myself. I gotta make tents for a living so that I can work for you for free. So that I can basically be a slave and do this ministry for nothing. But, but that's what he did, that was his commitment. And you think about how, imagine how much more Paul could have done if he hadn't had to have devoted so much of his time to sewing tents instead of spreading the gospel. Paul's like, look, isn't it reasonable that you would support me and, and Barney in this work that we're doing? But that's fine, okay, you look at us and you say, oh, they, they're, they're okay, they're single guys, they don't have any kids. All right, fine, we'll go ahead and work day and night to, to get this done, we'll make it happen. But that's not the way it should be. You know, around here we never ask our guests to give, but I'll tell you, anytime a church talks about money, it gets a little tense, it gets a little awkward, it gets touchy and even offensive because that's just such a personal thing to us, right? Which I guess is why Jesus talked about it so much because it is so personal. It's such a heart check on us about what's really important in our lives and about really what our God is and what our idols are. And of course, all churches end up getting a bad rap because you've got a few churches out there that get pushy and, and they pressure people. And then you've got all those prosperity gospel preachers out there that are making these huge salaries and living these ex- extravagant, blingy lifestyles, which is not the way Jesus lived and it's not the way Paul lived. And, and, and we have this overemphasis on money sometimes that becomes an obstacle to the gospel because 
So many people out in the world are convinced that all ministers are in this for, they're in it for the money, they're, they're in this religious racket to exploit people and get rich off this. And I can tell you, the vast majority of people I know in ministry are not getting rich off it at all. I mean, look, if you want to make money, you don't want to go into ministry. There's, you can make a lot more money out in the world. In fact, what, what you often see is the problem is they get underpaid. These churches don't have a theology of prosperity, they have a theology of poverty. It's like, let's keep them poor and humble is the attitude they often take. I actually had somebody ask me, why do you have paid ministry on your staff? Why don't all your staff just work for free? I'm like, seriously, really? You want somebody to do all that work for free? Why don't you? Well, maybe you can. Maybe you're, you're sufficiently wealthy enough you can do that, but most people aren't. And I, I see so many guys come out of all this college and seminary and they've paid all this money and they've got all this debt and they, a lot of these guys have to quit the ministry because they can't pay off that debt and they can't support their families. What are you going to do? There's no union for preachers. And so the Apostle Paul, instead of going out and, and on, going on strike and picketing, he says, you know what, That's a, fine, fine, fine. I'm just going to go ahead and do this work. I'm going to do my job because I want people to learn about Jesus. That's the most important thing. And see, I knew when I started this church it was going to be a financial strain. Okay, it's part of the deal. I get it. But you know what? After year after year after year of being really pretty woefully underpaid, I got to the place where I'm like, I can't stay here anymore. I was going to have to leave the church I started because I couldn't support my family anymore. I had burned through all, almost all of my savings, and that was about it. But thankfully, some people in the church, some members stepped up and, and made sure that I got at least a modest raise. And Paul's saying, look, I don't, I don't want your money. If you think that I'm in this for the money, I don't want that to be a stumbling block. I don't want anybody saying that because he says in verse 16, for when I preach the gospel, I can't boast since I am, what, compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I can't help but do this. And I feel the same way. I can't not do this. I mean, there's never going to be a point where I cannot not Tell people about Jesus and teach his word. I'm always going to do that somehow, somewhere, some way. And so look, when you give here, it's not so that you can enable me to drive a fancy car or for Mark to live in a luxurious mansion or for the staff to take retreats to Fiji. Okay, none of that's going on here. We're blessed that we're taken care of here and we are paid fairly. And on behalf of the staff, I want to thank you for supporting us. On behalf of my wife and my kids, I want to thank you for all these years that I haven't had to sew tents or sell cars or sell insurance or anything else. I've been able to be devoted to the ministry here, but nobody's getting enriched, all right? So, in fact, some of these staff I know took pay cuts in order to work here because it's a calling they want to do this and I think all of us would do it for free if we could but this is a calling for us and when we ask you to give we're not asking you to do anything that we don't do ourselves I can tell you some of the biggest giving families in the church are on our staff all right so the question really is for each one of us is to ask yourself if everybody gave like I gave how long would this church survive When you give, you're making ministry possible. You're making all those baptisms possible. And when you got Christians who are putting out so much money on their own comforts and conveniences and uh, on their own their, their clothes and Comcast and concerts and cruises, all these other things, and then they're not compelled to give anything. 
I mean, they don't give anything to the Lord's work. What does that say? I mean, you're saying, I, I don't care if we have ministers. I don't care if we have a building. Let somebody else take care of those bills. I don't care if we do anything for this community. I don't even care if this church survives. What a shame that money becomes such an obstacle to the furtherance of the gospel. The bottom line is it costs to reach our community. It costs to reach the lost. And so when you've got people who aren't giving anything at all, assuming somebody else is going to do it, or maybe they're dropping in a few bucks or they're dropping in a few coins, I mean, what, what do you think is going to happen? Now listen, if you're like that widow that Jesus noticed, putting her two pennies in the offering, gave, gave all she had to the Lord, wow, I mean, those two coins are some radical generosity. But for most of us who have a lot more than two coins, you know, when you give nickels and dimes to evangelism, you're going to get nickel and dime results. It's as simple as that. That's, that's the way it works. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your, your heart. Is your heart really in the Great Commission and this work that God has given each one of us to do. Do we care? Are we compelled? This is a big heart check for us. And if just every believer were giving by grace what God's people in the Old Testament where the Jews were required to give by law to tithe, to give 10% instead of the typical Christian giving 2%, imagine how much more we would be able to spread the gospel around this world. I mean, God's work would be more than amply supplied and, and it would prosper. But sadly, you know what we see? We see so many Christians treating the church like it's a consumer experience, like the church is there to meet my, my, my family's needs. And so they, they think, hmm, well, what is this service really worth to me? And they, they treat the offering like it's a cover charge or, or like they're tipping for the kind of quality of service they received that day. And what they're missing is the whole purpose of the church is the Great Commission. We're called to, to win the lost, to win our communities to win this world to Jesus. It's the Great Commission. So what's most important is not how much money is given, it's how many people are reached with the good news of Jesus. That's our reward. Paul says my reward is how many people get to meet Jesus and the pay may not always be great and the hours may stink and the people, some of them that I reach are gonna resist me and reject me and even betray me like these people in, in the city of Corinth, but that's okay. Because my reward is the number of changed lives. How many people are baptized into Christ? That, that, that's, that's the paycheck I'm looking for. That means more than anything. And, oh, and okay, by the way, bonus, on top of that, we have got an incredibly out of this world retirement package. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it doesn't get better than that, what God's got waiting for us. All right, so number one, we're not gonna let money to be an obstacle. Number two, don't let cultural preferences be an obstacle to outreach. Paul says, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win the lost. I'm gonna adapt myself to uh, find common ground with people. Why? So that I can lead them to Jesus. He says in verse 19, though I am free and I belong to no one, this is, this is a powerful evangelism principle, I have made my slave, a self a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. So he says, look, to the Jewish people I became like a Jew. To the Gentile people I became like a Gentile. To the weak I become like the weak. No, I'm never going to compromise the gospel, but I'm going to accommodate myself 
so that I can relate to people wherever they are. I'm not going to change the message, but I will change the way I present it so that they will understand it. That is making yourself a cultural missionary. You read the culture you're in and you use it for the Lord. We certainly don't want to ever, you know, accommodate ourselves to the point where we become, <laughs> we sin to reach sinners. Like to the drunks, I became a drunk. You know, to, to the porn stars, I became a porn watcher. No, he did not say that. But he says, I'm gonna accommodate myself as best as possible. It's called the work of contextualizing. Contextualizing the gospel. Like Mark and the others who are in Romania right now. <clears throat> Right there, uh, see a picture of them on, this, on the screen of, uh, of the work they're doing of, of serving the people there and sharing the gospel. So you, know, you don't go to Romania and then you expect them to speak your language, right? You don't expect them to like your music. You don't expect them to dress like you dress or to eat what you eat. Uh, that, that's not being fake to, to become like them. That's being culturally sensitive. You learn to speak their language. You want to use a Bible translation in their language, not yours. You want to use their music, their heart language music, and eat their food and, and dress like them and all that kind of stuff in order to reach them with the gospel. And the same is true right here. You don't have to go to Romania to make this happen. We try to find common ground right here where we are in our culture. So we want to speak the language of this culture. What's it like here? Well, it's, it ha has a lot to do with video, technology, social media, we want to use the music of this culture, right? Uh, we, we don't expect them to adapt to the music we like. You know, church music is like, okay, let's, let's hear some organ music. No, people don't listen to organ music. So why, why would we expect them to adapt to our cultural traditions of the past that aren't really tied to the gospel at all? We don't expect them to dress like us or, or any of that stuff. We're, we're, we're going to use a Bible translation that they can understand not using Shakespearean English that they don't understand, right? Uh, uh, because it's not about us. That's why it's not about us. It's learning to put ourselves in their shoes. It's about winning our community to Christ. And are we really willing to do that, to be soul winners? What about teaching the next generation? What about our children and our grandchildren? Are we willing to adapt to reach them or are we gonna expect them to adapt to us? Because that ain't gonna happen, is it? I mean, are we mature enough, for example, to give up our musical preferences so that we can reach them with their musical preferences? Because you know what? I'm going to choose my children over my preferences every time. And, and so when our preferences take precedence, then we're refusing to change and contextualize the gospel. And so that's why our big idea is this. I will do everything I will do everything I can to save as many as I can. I hope that's true of all of us. Do we, do we care about winning as many people as we can? Or are we, are we content with how many we have right now? Are we compelled to go out into our community and to reach as many people as we can with the gospel so that they can be forgiven, they can be filled with the Holy Spirit, they can have the hope of heaven, they can be redeemed, restored, and renewed? Do we care enough to do that? Paul says this in verse 22. Everybody say it with me. Everybody out loud. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Are we willing to use all possible means to save some? Seriously. Now I've heard some people phrase it like this. I will do anything short of sin 
to reach people for Christ. And I've said that myself in the past, and I love the spirit behind it, but don't mistake it to think, well, we'll do something stupid or ridiculous, you know, something. Well, it may not be sinful, but it's probably not a wise thing to do. I mean, we're not going to do just anything, anything that might actually cheapen and degrade and diminish the power of the gospel. And, and God forbid that we would ever resort to gimmicks or guilt or groveling in order to get people to give. No, we're just going to teach what Scripture says and trust God for the rest. But are we really willing to reach the lost at any cost? We're not gonna let money be an obstacle. We're not gonna let our cultural preferences be an obstacle. And third, don't become a personal obstacle to your outreach. Don't get in your own way by being so self-centered and lazy and apathetic that you don't make any effort at all. That your faith is just all about you and not about anybody else. The only reason God leaves us on this earth is so that we can reach other people and take them to heaven with us. That's it. And Paul says, I'm going to live my life like a runner running for the prize, the prize of eternal life. I'm going to apply myself to that because I have a mission. I'm going to run purposefully. I'm going to discipline myself like a boxer and give up my personal rights to do this. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to make the sacrifice for greater things. In verse 23, Paul says, I, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Why? So that I may share in its blessings. I want to share in the blessings, don't you? I mean, we don't do it to earn our salvation. But we do these things to, to gain a reward. There is a crown waiting for those who want to win. And what do we want to win? We want to win the approval of God and we want to win the lost. That's what we're out to win. And so I'm going to do everything I can to save as many as I can. So let's go after this stronger than ever, winning down river to Christ, and let's get really practical right now. I'm gonna give you four ways you can reach out. You probably wanna write these down somehow, okay? Take a picture of the screen or something. Here we go, number one, own your sphere. Own your sphere. God has given you a sphere of influence. He has put you someplace for a purpose, and he's got people in your life on purpose, people who need him, and therefore they need you. Can you name right now three people in your life that God has put there that need your influence, that need Jesus in their lives? Are you regularly praying for those people that they will come to Christ? What can you do this week to reach out to them, to share the love of God with them, to bless them, to serve them, to share the good news with them? Number two, make friends intentionally. Okay, not, not just make friends so that you can lead them to Christ, but you, you won't have an opportunity to do that unless you purposely make friends. Otherwise, you get trapped in that Christian bubble where all your friends are Christians. And this is the one I struggle with, is breaking out of that bubble to, to make friends with people who aren't Christians. And then out of that friendship, number three, share your story at some point. Tell them why that relationship with Jesus is so important to you. See, a lot of times we think we, we gotta tell them why they need Jesus. When what might actually be a little bit more effective is tell them why you do. <laughs> tell about uh, the difference that he's made in your life. And then four, share your church. Share your church. Don't stress out about not being able to share the gospel with people because you don't know all these Bible verses and you're not a, able to explain the significance of the substitutionary atonement. That's okay. Just tell them how, why you love this church. Tell them what to expect when they show up. Hand them an invite card. We've got invite cards all over the place. Send them a text. Give them a call. Hey, I would love for you to go with me to church next week, and then we'll go out and eat afterward. I mean, I'm, up, I'm up for that all day long, right? You can do that. 
You know, on, on Facebook this week, I posted a meme, and uh, it was Johnny Depp as, as Captain Jack, Black, uh, Jack Sparrow, right, from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and he's making this face like, and the, the question is, why aren't there more people in church today? Look around. Why aren't there more people in church today? When was the last time you invited someone? That's how churches fill up. That's how churches grow when everybody invites. If we don't, when was the last time you invited somebody to church? Now, again, they may not respond at your first invitation. That's okay. Be patient. Be persistent. Because you know that by inviting them here, we're going to do our best to make sure that they have a good experience and that everything builds to a moment like this where we can lead them to Christ. And so what you do here matters. We're all working together. We're like a team. We're partners in this. We want to help you reach your sphere. All right? So we're going we're to give our best efforts to make sure this is a good experience because we understand that every week may be somebody's first time to hear the gospel and it may be somebody's last chance. So what you do matters. Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you greeting? Are you sitting with people? Are you, are you making this an awesome place where people can get to meet Jesus? Without Christ, they're without hope in this world. They're alienated from God. They're dead while they're even living. They're headed for hell. And maybe that's you. And that's why this invitation is for you. If you have not yet made that decision on your own, to follow the one who gave his life for you on the cross, to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to, to gain for you what you could not gain for yourself, what you did not deserve, what you could not earn. That's why it's the gospel. That's why it's good news, because it's all by God's grace. You just receive it. And are you able to share that gospel plan of salvation with somebody? If not, we make it easy for you. Out in the lobby, we put these bookmarks with the four facts of life on those. Grab some of those. Literally, you can just read through that with somebody. That's all it takes sometimes. Or you can go to this website. You can write this down or take a picture of the screen. Onlygodcanhelp.com slash answer. All right, and there's a lot of good stuff on there. Onlygodcanhelp.com slash answer. And then there's one final easy way I want to I share with you that you can... Tell somebody how to come to Christ. We call it two verses, six fingers, okay? There are two main verses in the New Testament about how to make that decision to follow Christ. John 3.16 and Acts 2.35. In John 3.16, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like the key verse of the Bible right there. Now, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the other apostles are telling a big crowd of people about Jesus, how he, he loves them, he died for them, he rose from the dead, they're cut to the heart, they're convicted. In Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, based on those two verses, there are three things we're called to do and three promises that we will receive. We're told to believe, to repent, which is to turn from your sin and turn to God, and be baptized into Christ, to identify with him in, in a watery grave. You're lowered into the water, you're raised back up to a new life with Christ. Believe, repent, and be baptized. And the three things you'll receive are forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you live for God from now on, and the promise of eternal life. Say those with me, okay? First of all, I'll say the two verses, John 3.16 and Acts 2.38. Got it? John 3.16, Acts 2.38. Here are the three things we're told to do. Believe, repent, be baptized. Everybody, 
believe, repent, be baptized, and you will receive forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life. Same with me. Forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life. Your past, your present, your future, all taken care of. And if you're someone right now who is ready to do those three things, you can leave knowing that you have received those three promises. So you're invited to come to the front to talk with any of our people who are ready to talk to you. If you're watching online, give us a call. Come in, make an appointment. We'd love to help you make a decision to follow Christ. You can be baptized any day of the week, including right now. You can have somebody pray for you, but this is your moment to receive those promises of God as we stand and sing.